Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's October 12th, a Wednesday, and I'm your healthcare show host, Christine Harges. I have Todd Campbell, one of the Motley Fool's healthcare writers on the line. Todd, welcome to the show. Thanks, Christine. It's great to be here. So on the heels of the presidential debate this past Sunday night, we wanted to do a little fact-checking around some of the healthcare-related statements that were made. As I always feel obligated to mention, whenever we discuss anything even close to political on the show, The Motley Fool is not a partisan organization, and so Todd and I are going to do our best to provide a fair and honest review of the candidates and their statements. So, with that being said, let's dive right in. The first thing that we wanted to talk about was some of the statements that were made regarding the cost of health insurance. Specifically, Donald Trump claimed in the debate that health insurance is going up by numbers that are astronomical, 68%, 59%, 71%. Todd, is that true? Well, before I answer that question, I got a question for you. Okay, let's let's hear it. All right, so a little bit of trivia here to start off the show. What do you think had a higher viewership, the debate or the Sunday night football game with the Packers? Oh, so just one game versus the debate? Yep, debate head-to-head against the Sunday night football game. Which do you think people watched more? Probably the football game. You'd be wrong. Really? Good. I I think that's a good thing. The debate was the big game. On Sunday night, um, and and it was a pretty by a pretty astronomical number. I mean, do you have want to hazard a guess at how many millions of people tuned in to watch the debate, Christine? I'm not even going to guess since I've already been wrong once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe our listeners at home they have some ideas, but I, I, so I'll give you a second. Come up with it. I'll give you a hint. It's more than 50 million and less than 100 million. I'm All hearing right. Jeopardy sounds right now. It's 69 million people tuned into the debate. And to put that in perspective, uh, 16.6 million tuned in to watch the Packers Sunday night football game. So uh, obviously, everybody is tuning in. They want to have some idea of what these candidates' plans are um, for for various policies. We're a health career-oriented show, so we're going to stick to the healthcare side of things. Uh, Fortunately, we did get some insight into both of these candidates' positions uh, in the debate. Um, And as you mentioned, uh, one of the first, you know, statements that was made in the debate was, you know, Trump's assertion that premiums are rising by fairly dramatic numbers. I mean, 68 percent, 59 percent, 71 percent. Those are those big increases. Doing a little bit of of fact-checking on this, there are some communities and specific plans within some communities where premiums are increasing by levels that are high uh, in in the double digits, Uh, but those are very rare. I mean, Kaiser Family Foundation, they they went through and, and did an analysis in July, and they found that the average plan uh, is going up by about 9%. So of course that's that's a lot far south of the numbers that um, Trump was was mentioning, um, but there are some areas where premiums are increasing for specific plans. Like for example, in Nashville, Tennessee, um, increases are going uh, are about twenty five percent in two thousand seventeen versus two thousand sixteen. So you know while he's saying that there's a, a really large increase 
in it's not really in across the whole nation it's for specific communities that are seeing large increases um and so that's 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 where we come down on that so this is really a question of scale when it comes down to it I mean, when you're talking about one specific specific circumstance it is far more likely that you could get some sort of astronomical number as opposed to when you look at the average in an area and even more so when you look at the average nationwide so even yeah, though yeah you know and there's another observation here that we have to remember is is that although premiums are increasing we also have to remember that the absolute out of pocket cost so if you if you're at home and you have an obamacare plan don't start panicking um, if you receive subsidies, the subsidies are adjusted. Most people who get Obamacare receive subsidies. Right, 82%. Yeah, 82%. And those subsidies for most, I think most people who get subsidies pay less than $100 a month for their insurance, which I think most people will agree is a pretty low price to pay for their health care insurance. And the subsidies uh, get adjusted for these price increases too. And the subsidies get adjusted upward uh, based upon the cost of the plants. So, premium premiums are heading higher, but those higher premiums, the the brunt is really borne by those people who say, like myself, participate in the in the Obamacare exchanges. However, don't qualify for the subsidies. There's also another dilemma going on here, and it's something that we've talked about on the show before, but there's this issue between health insurers being so unprofitable on these exchanges that they're dropping out and possibly leading to lower competition, which you could imply would mean even higher prices, versus the other side of that coin. The insurers could hike prices to make themselves profitable. So there is. Yeah, I mean, it, right, Christine, at the heart of the matter, really, what Trump is saying is that premiums are rising rapidly, and that's a big problem, right? And, you know, we would, there's evidence, and we've talked about it on the show previously, that insurers have not adequately priced their plans to turn a profit. United Healthcare, as, as you were alluding to, has already said that they're going to go from providing health insurance and a couple dozen states to a handful of states in 2017 because they're losing hundreds of millions of dollars on the plans that they offered this year. So, when we look at the statement as a whole made by Trump, it's true that the numbers are going up. Whether or not there are individual cases of 68%, 59%, and 71%, that's entirely possible. Um, I would say the statement as a whole, true, but needs context. Is that fair? I think that's pretty fair. So, on the same lines of insurance, uh, Hillary Clinton also weighed in with a claim that we're at 90% health insurance coverage, which is the highest that we've ever been. And to give this one a little bit of context within the debate itself, this was part of her claim that she wants to get coverage to 100%, have the cost go down, and the quality up. Right. And I think the question is, are we really at 90% you know, insured? And the answer to that question is, yes, we are. Um, I think that a lot of times when we think about Obamacare, we only think about the marketplaces. And while the marketplaces are an important part of Obamacare, we have to realize that the Affordable Care Act included a lot of other things too, including the expansion of uh, Medicaid in, in over 30 states. If you couple together all of the provisions associated with the Affordable Care Act, uh, we end up with a population now where 91.4% of Americans are covered uh, by health insurance. So, less than 10% right now are going without. 
Exactly. And getting to 100% definitely won't be easy. I'm, I'm not even convinced that it's possible. Um, but to just stick to the facts here, we've got 22 million people that are uninsured. And a big thing to realize about this population is that one third of them are ages 19 to 34. And this has been a sticking point for Obamacare, that it's really difficult to get younger, healthier people to sign up for health insurance, despite the fact that the penalty for not doing so is increasing. Right. And the 22 num- million number actually is after we remove illegal immigrants, which you know, this is controversial. I mean, you know, there's there's been some discussion over whether or not they should be allowed to buy Obamacare plans uh, in the system since we're paying for their health care coverage indirectly through visits to the emergency rooms and that type of thing. I, we'll leave that for another day. Who knows? You're right. This is going to be tough. This last 10 percent is going to be tough. You've got the young invincibles who, you know, maybe, you know, they're not fully employed or they don't really see the value in preparing for that accident or you know illness that comes out of nowhere um it's gonna be hard to convince them um you've got you know poor populations too that simply you know don't have access to the technology or the resources don't fully understand the program and and it's gonna be hard to 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 reach out to them as well so getting the last 10 percent will be tough um and then of course you know depending on who wins the election we have no idea if we'll ever get to you know, if we'll go towards 100% or less than 100%, because, you know, we have two very different uh, outlooks on what the future should be regarding Obamacare between these two candidates. So, along those lines, one of the other things that came up in the debate was a, a claim by Trump that uh, Hillary Clinton wants to go to a single payer system. Before discussing whether or not that's true, can you give us a little bit of context on what that even means? Well, there was a lot of debate during the primary between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton on the value of, a, of or the concept of a Medicare for all, where basically you eliminate the system as it stands today and you open up Medicare so that everyone can participate in Medicare uh, uh, rather than just those people who are over 65. Um, Bernie Sanders advocated for Medicare for all. Uh, Hillary Clinton um, did not, but she did um, concede over the course of the primary uh, to start thinking about possibly expanding Medicare to include uh, more people, perhaps those people who are in their 50s or um, in areas, for example, where insurers like United Healthcare have exited and maybe there's only one choice or there are no choices in the Obamacare exchanges, perhaps providing people with an option where they can buy into Medicare, uh, regardless of their age that way. Great explanation. Thanks, Todd. And you also answered the question of whether or not this claim is true. Clinton has indeed never endorsed a Medicare for all system. Yeah, she just doesn't. She actually came out uh, earlier in the year and said it's just not, it's not something that we can do given how vested we are in our current system. Um, it's, it would be too hard to do. So she has been advocating for changing Obamacare, uh, making it better, recognizing that it has faults and making some, I guess we'll call them tweaks and adjustments along the way. Um, and that, of course, uh, is, a, is in stark contrast to Trump, who has said uh, that he favors a full repeal of Obamacare and starting from scratch with, with uh, an entirely new system. One of his big... Uh, things that he does not like about Obamacare is the cost. He stated in the debate that Obamacare is going to be one of the biggest line items in the federal budget very shortly. 
This is an interesting one. Uh, according to the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, the Affordable Care Act is actually beneath Social Security, Medicare, defense, interest, and non-ACA-related Medicaid, and it's projected to remain below these line items through 2026. Yeah, I think this is, again, this is one of those true with context kind of situations. I mean, I think that no one would deny that uh, 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 the Affordable Care Act is, is an expensive program um, and it's costly. And I think by the CBO's estimates, we're talking about, you know, cost eclipsing a trillion dollars sometime in the middle of next decade, which is certainly not chump change. As it stands now, however, um, I guess it depends on how you say one of the most expensive line items. I, I don't know where you cut that off. Uh, but yes, these other programs are more expensive than the Affordable Care Act. Uh, Affordable Care Act, however, is not a cheap program. So again, it goes back to that debate of, of how important is health care to America uh, in, a, in a political sense. And it's worth noting that providing care to the uninsured is costly in its own ways. Correct. So uh, one last, eh, a couple more, not even one last, one last of the couple last claims that we want to talk about today. Uh, Trump claims that Canadians come into the United States for big operations because their single-payer system is broken. This came right after the, the claim that Hillary wants to go to a single-payer system, and it was one of his ways of describing why a single-payer system will not work. So it is true that Canadians do come into the United States for care at times. The Fraser Institute reports that 52,000 Canadians came into the United States in 2014 for care. Normally, this was because of the wait times for non-life-threatening procedures. But, and this is becoming a trend in this show, context is necessary. So 52,000 people out of a Canadian population of 35 million is actually just 0.1%. And to give even more context to that, the CDC estimates that 750,000 United States residents travel abroad for their care every year. And that is 0.2%, so a rough double of the United States population. And here, this is normally because it can be less expensive to travel overseas for your health care. Right. I mean, the, 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 the argument here is our healthcare is so good as it stands today that it attracts other people to come here and get their care, okay? And the other side of that is, if that was 100% true, then we probably wouldn't have such a large number of Americans traveling elsewhere to get care too. I think that, you know, people, if it's not life-threatening emergent care, um, and it's expensive, something expensive, cosmetic surgery, dentistry, heart uh, surgery that, that can maybe allow you to travel. People are going to shop for the best deal and they're gonna, sometimes that'll mean crossing a border from Canada to the US and sometimes it'll mean crossing a border from the US to Canada. Um, you know, I always look at, at, you know, healthcare as a whole is kind of a rating of saying, okay, well, what's the life expectancy of the nation? Right. I mean, because, you know, obviously, if you've had a higher life expectancy, then um, your healthcare system is probably doing a pretty good job. And, you know, in the US, it has a high life expectancy. I think it's about 70 and a half years old, something like that. Um, and that's pretty, pretty darn good. Um, but it's also not in the top five. It's not in the top 10. It's not in the top 15. It's not in the top 25. It's actually 31st in the world. So, you know, we can definitely be doing things better. We do have a good system, but we can be doing things better. All right. So, uh, one of the other claims that we want to discuss today was going back to Hillary Clinton. 
Uh, she claims that 8 million kids every year have health insurance because of actions that she took. Is this a true statement? Yeah, I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt on this because although she wasn't she wasn't in Congress, so she couldn't submit the bill, uh, Ted Kennedy did, to establish the Children's Health Insurance Program. Kennedy has said that it wouldn't have happened without her efforts. So right. This was in 1997 yeah. when Clinton was the first lady. Correct, correct. And we've got 8.4 million children now covered by CHIP. So yeah, uh, we'll, we'll say that her role was pretty significant in helping make sure that insurance uh, increased for about 8 million children. Yep. She also claims to have made medicine safer for kids by requiring dosing to be more carefully done. And though she didn't name an act, and I don't think she named uh, the Children's Health Insurance Program either by its actual name, but this claim was referring to the Pediatric Research Equity Act. So this was actually another true statement. Right, which you could argue is a pretty important thing because you don't want to be giving the same dose uh, to, a, to an adult that you would be to a child necessarily unless you knew that it was safe. Right. So those are all the true false statements that I had in mind, Todd. Did I miss any? No, oh, I've got a I've got a couple couple more. I'm not sure how much time we have, but we'll go through it. I mean, one of the big um, assertions by Trump is that um, the removing of the artificial boundaries that prohibit insurers from competing against state lines would provide a significant um, cost savings to people going out and hunting for premiums. Um, I, I think that you know that was an interesting comment by him. I, I think he said, President Obama, by keeping these lines, the boundary lines around each state, and it was almost done until just towards the end of the passage of Obamacare, uh, and then he, he kind of went off from there to talk about um, the architect of Obamacare and the like. But it, again, what he's talking about is these, these lines that prohibit um, the, a croc selling insurance plans across state lines. And yes, those lines exist. States govern insurance individually, so they regulate it on an individual basis. However, there are there's considerable debate over whether or not allowing, you know, a plan in Arizona to be sold to someone in New Hampshire would actually work, and because there's a lot that goes into these plans. I mean, you've got to establish systems, uh, you know, networks of doctors in hospitals, and if you've got a plan in Arizona, obviously, you know, someone in New Hampshire is not going to be flying to Arizona for their care. So there are a lot of reasons why um, this strategy may not work out quite the way as, as some intend. This seems like it might be a little bit more difficult of a statement to put a true-false label on. Have there been any studies looking into this? Yeah, I mean, I think what's important for people to remember is that it's the idea of tearing down these artificial borders is not new. It's been discussed for a, a long time. There was a study done back in 2012 that evaluated a number of states who tried to launch uh, pilot programs that would allow for cross-border selling insurance companies. Georgia, Kentucky, Maine, Rhode Island, uh, and a couple others participated. Um, unfortunately, not one insurer took up, up on the offer. Interesting. So at this point, we are kind of running out of time. And before we sign off, I want to reiterate something that came up quite a few times throughout this discussion today, which is that all of these statements need context. It's very, very easy to take a single line from a debate or from a campaign speech or from an advertisement and tout it as this, this singular statement and try to draw implications from it. But there's always more to the story. So, 
like we tell you with stocks, do your homework, do your research, look in, try to understand the bigger picture. And that is the best way that you can possibly go about truly understanding how each of these candidates feels about the United States healthcare system. Todd, thank you so much for all of your contributions today. And always, as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell any stocks based solely on what you hear. For Todd Campbell, I'm Christine Harges. Thanks so much for listening, and full on. Mm-hmm.